Daniel 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, you know, the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Jesus, we always know that apart from you, things that are spiritually discerned, learned, cannot be learned. And so we ask this morning that your spirit would empower ears, hearts, to receive your truth. We wanna be those that fall upon the stone and are broken by it, not those that the stone falls on and are crushed by it. So may your sweet truth break into our lives this morning, conforming us to your image. And we ask this in your name, amen. Amen. So Daniel, we'll do some work on Wednesday nights too, seven o'clock, Fruitdale. Um, but I titled this book in my own thinking, Believing in Babylon, because that's what you have. You have a group of young people that are taken to a very foreign, hard place, and somehow they maintain their faith in super hard situations, right? So it's brilliant. And I think today we're believing in Babylon, that the direction of our culture is anti-Jesus, anti Christianity, that very often you go to workplaces where you have to do things or you're expected to not say things that really cross what you know to be true, right? That happens all the time. So we are living in Babylon. So how do we live as Jesus followers, graceful, merciful, kind, compassionate, but at the same time, not cowering, ducking what we know to be true. So this is Daniel. It's a brilliant book. So I want to try to do two things today. And it sets the stage for the rest of the book. It actually, it's throughout the Bible, actually. These are biblical theology ideas that Daniel amplifies and elevates, okay? There's two things and that's it. Number one, you have to know Babylon, right? Verse one, 
Third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Babylon is big in the Bible. If you are with us in Genesis, maybe you recall we ran into Babylon in Genesis 11. And in Genesis 11, Babylon comes up and the, it's an evil empire. The shadow it casts darkens all of scripture all the way to Revelation 18, which is the end of the Bible. Where finally it says, Babylon's defeated. Ah, oh, we've been waiting that for that a long time. So it's massive. You have to understand what Babylon's about. So I'm gonna quickly read for you. Genesis 11 verse one says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, very important, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. We just saw that in chapter one of Daniel and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. That's Babylon. Number one, it says this, they traveled east. Now today that doesn't mean anything to us, but in biblical language, when a people move east, they're actually moving away from God. So remember in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve sin, they're removed from the garden. In which direction did they go? East of Eden. We have a book, right? East of Eden, based on that. And throughout the Bible, a migration east is you're saying, you know what? We don't really wanna serve God. We wanna do something else. So that's the first thing you see in this city. Mm, we're not into God. We're into something else. Then number two, it says this. They had bricks. So, up to this point, they're just a nomadic tribe that lives in tents and travels the deserts. Because in the desert, there's no stone to build with. There's no trees to build with. When all of a sudden someone discovers, if you take this mud and you cook it, it gets hard. And then there was this stuff called bitumen. It's really coal. And you could, it was, it was like a, a sticky coal and you could put it in between the layers of brick and stick them together. All of a sudden they had technology that made it possible to make a permanent dwelling, protecting themselves against attacks from enemies or animals. So this brilliant technology comes out, all right? So what do they do with this technology? Verse four, let's make a city. Let's make a city. Are cities good or bad? <laughs> right? Did God want farmers instead he got hipsters that live in the city? Is that what happened? I'll put it real simple. Is Portland good or bad? Weird, Weird. yeah, that'll work. <laughs> right, so the Bible's neutral on that. We all end up in a big city. Uh, there's good things and bad things about a city. So that's not the problem. It's what they did in the city that was the problem. What'd they do? They built a tower. They built a tower. And they said, we want this tower to go all the way up to the heavens so we can get to God. Cities always have a tower. Cities always have something that they say, this is our God. It's the highest place of a city. So if I told you as a young person, I'm moving to New York City, what's my God? Money, right? 
money. That's what New York City is the capital of money in the world, the New York Stock Exchange, right? You go to New York City if you want to go there and make money. If I said, no, 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 I'm moving to Washington, D.C., what am I after? Power, politics, right? You go to Washington and the highest place, you look at that city, if you've been there, what's on the highest part of that city? The capital, right? It's saying, this is what we worship right there. If I said, no, I want to go to Hollywood, what am I after? Fame, baby, right? Every city has a high spot. Ashland, on their high spot, they have a kale garden. It's awesome. <laughs> Grants Pass, what's on our high spot? Caveman. Grants Pass caveman, baby. There's our highest, that's our goal. If we can be a caveman, we're good. <laughs> All right, so they say this. In the name Babel today, it means confusing language. But back then, Bab-El, El is the name for God. Bab was the gate. It was saying, we're gonna make a gate to God. And what Babylon was saying was this. We're not gonna do it God's way. We'll make our own way to God. I'll create my gate to God. I'm gonna do it my way. Is that America today? Oh my, it is. Yeah. Is that America today, right? People say this all the time. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. What are they saying? Yeah, I, I, don't tell me how to do this. I'm gonna do it my way, right? I invite people to Edgewater. Hey man, you should come join with us. Guess what they say? I'm not into organized religion. I say, you will love Edgewater because we are not organized then. Come join us. <laughs> you will fit right in if you don't like, because me either. <laughs> and what they're saying is this, it's all a Babylonian Dark shadow. No, don't tell me how to be spiritual. Don't tell me how to do religion. I'm gonna build my own gate to God. And then the last thing Babylon says is this. We're gonna make a name. We're gonna make a name for ourselves, right? Man, that's a massive one. And we'll pick that back up. So understand that about where they're at. This is a place that says, create your own God, go your own way. We're gonna have this high place where everybody's to worship. This comes back over and over in Daniel. And then on top of that, here's a place you can make a name for yourself. Or Babylon will name you, which is really what happens, okay? So that's Babylon. Number two, the boys. Verse three, the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths, why young people? You can craft them the way you want, normally. Without blemish, all the parents are like, no, you can't, no way. <laughs> of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. These young men were Instagrammable, right? They're handsome, they're everything young ladies want. They're like, woo, Mary, right now. That's what these kids are, cream of the crop, stallions. He grabs them. What does he do to them? Verse six. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Ring a bell? Should. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Here's what Babylon does to you. Identity theft. Whatever your identity was, 
Babylon wants to grab it and change it into its image. And that's what's happening to these young men, right? It's literally happening here. We'll make a name for you. We will name you, right? And their names are changed drastically. So their parents, godly parents, had given them names that would remind them of the character and nature of the God that they serve. And these are changed. So Daniel, his name means God is my judge. I serve God, that's who I serve. His name, according to Hodges, a new commentary I have, his name was changed to Lady Protect the King. Not just a change of who your allegiance is to, no longer God, but to a king, also a gender change. How fascinating is that, right? Number two, Hananiah, his, chain, his name means Yahweh showed me grace. His name is changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of the moon God. So it was, God is this graceful, compassionate being that I get served. Now you are under the thumb of this other deity. He is your boss. He's your commander. He's your dictator. Then number three, Mishael means who's like God. The uniqueness of God changed to Shadrach, or excuse me, Meshach, who's like the moon God. Or one translation, put it this way, I'm despised. Either way, here's the change. It is, who's like God? That God is unique to, uh-uh, there's all kinds of God. Who's like the moon God too? Who's like the sun God? Who's like the plant God? That God no longer has a unique standing in the universe. He's like, or it degrades God or it degrades this man. You're just despised. Either one, it's doing the same thing. Then lastly, Azariah means Yahweh has helped me. His name is changed to Abednego, which means slave of Nego. So he goes from being, you are helped by God as a son of God, that he is your heavenly father and he's with you and he's gonna support you and he's gonna love you. He's gonna help you too. Now you're a slave of this man, right? Each of them, Babylon comes and tries to rename them identity theft. It's what Babylon has done for thousands and thousands of years. It's what our culture is doing today. Babylon wants to steal our name. And I'll try to prove that to you, okay? And here's how. So if you look at the Bible, there are some themes in the Bible. You ever heard of the 10 commandments? Not 10 suggestions, 10 commandments, very important. The first two, what are they? I'm God, make no, literally images of me. We've translated idols, it's actually image. Make no images. Are those two repeated a lot in scripture? Oh my goodness all the way through to the end. No idols, no idols, no images, no images. I'm God, make no images. Now, why is that? Is God against images? Is it God against that kind of stuff? Is he like, don't ever try to make an image of me. You just won't do it. Well, I don't think so. I think the reason why God says, don't make any images of me is because God already made an image. Who is that image? Us, right? Genesis one, let us make man in our image. God's like, don't make another, another image. I've already created one. It's you. That's your identity. Know who you are, that you are supposed to be an image bearer of God. Now, listen to me. Why is that really important? Who was Genesis written to? Was it written to you and me so we could like figure out how God made the being of the earth and all that stuff? A great exercise. Genesis was not written to you and me. Who was it written to? Slaves, slaves, slaves that had been told this, you're good for nothing. 
You're just a mud, brick, baking slave to Pharaoh. And your babies are so worthless, we're gonna kill them all. And your life is so worthless that when you're all tired and wore out, we're gonna throw you away like trash. We're gonna deal with you like you're some kind of commodity, right? So they have this identity now. That's what they have. So imagine this for a second. Let's say that you work a job or you're in a class or something like that. And you think your boss or your teacher doesn't like you because they're always being hard on you. They're always riding. You're like, what is the deal here? Man, this is exhausting. And then one day you come to work or come to class and you're going by their office and you hear them mention your name. So what do you do? You eavesdrop, you sinners, <laughs> right? Like, oh, what are they saying? And, in here, and you hear this conversation. I love her. Man, she's the best student I have. They're the best worker I have. And I push them because they have such a high scene. I can see all this ability in them and I wanna get everything out of them. So I've really been pushing them hard. Would that matter to you? Would it change how you went to your class, change how you went to work? Absolutely, right? Because you had this idea of I'm a loser. Ah, to ah, That's what the slaves heard. They'd heard for years, 400 years, you're valueless. Pharaoh is God, you're not. You're just a piece of trash. All of a sudden they eavesdrop on a heavenly conversation. And this heavenly conversation, I'll read it to you. It's so important. As believers, we should know our identity in Genesis chapter one. It says this about you and me. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, plural, not one, not Pharaoh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. How many times does it says image in here? Over and over, what's it saying? You're an image bearer. You are my co-regent ruling earth. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's huge. What's your identity? Mud breaking, mud baking slave to Pharaoh, worthless, no good, nothing? Or something radically, beautifully better. Either Babylon's gonna name you or the Bible's gonna name you. And if you look at that text, I just wanna point out four things that it says that I think are really important, right? Number one, it says this. God created them male and female, right? There's gender in the Bible. There's gender. What happens to Daniel? What happens to his name? His gender's changed. Do we have a little gender confusion today in America? There's a little bit of it, right? And we have to be really honest, Jesus was. He says in Matthew 19, verse 12, he says, listen, some are born eunuchs. There is genetic stuff there. And since Genesis three, there's been brokenness in our DNA. We just have to admit that. Yeah, there's some genetic stuff in that, totally. And we gotta walk well with people in that. But it's more than that now. It's been amplified and upped and now it's getting where I don't even understand some of it. 
where it seems like we should have common sense that tells us this is not good, right? Did you read about this, what happened in Pennsylvania a week and a half ago? So this 16-year-old girl is changing in the locker room. She's undressed. She turns around and there is a 16-year-old biological male in the locker room with her in his skivvies. And she obviously freaks out, grabs her clothes and runs away. And she feels violated by that, right? So she complains. And the administrator said this, it's your problem. This is the way things are now. You should not put that on him. He feels like he should be there instead. And you should not feel violated and you should not feel that way. You're in the wrong, right? So she goes home and tells her parents and her parents explode, right? And this is a big story now, but really they just want to say, uh-uh, you as a 16 year old young lady should not feel any problem getting changed in front of a biological male, right? Crazy. Or the three month old thing that happened down in Florida where a 50 year old gym teacher, his job is to teach young men gym, you know, whatever that is, kickball and dodgeball. He's then told, no, from now on, you need to oversee the locker room and the showers and girls are gonna come in here and shower and change with the boys. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. That's unhealthy for a 50 year old man to watch and oversee a young girl getting changed. That's just unhealthy for me, let alone a bunch of teenage boys. Uh-uh. And this is what they said. Oh, we're gonna have to fire you then. And we wouldn't find out that information because it was all hidden until a freedom of information request for the emails that went on in the admin. They just said, we gotta shut this guy down. This is the way things are gonna be. This is what we have to do. And I read that and I just go, did I fall asleep and wake up in the twilight zone? Like, are we in 1984 now? George Orwell, is this the brave new world? Like what in the, you just go, ha, ah, oh, crazy. Right? I get part of it. We're supposed to walk in love with people that are struggling. But you know what? Most science has found this. Kids that struggle with this, at about 2025, 20, they completely outgrow it. That's just what happens. If there's people that love them, and walk with them and answer questions and don't freak out like it's the end of the world. Hey, let's talk about this. Hey, no problem. Hey, Jesus said something, let's read Matthew, right? You, you walk well with it, they grow out of it. But that's not what's happening anymore. Now, school nurses are being forced to give injections to nine, 10, 11 year old kids to prevent them from going through puberty. That's gonna radically alter their brains and their bodies for life. And they're not allowed to tell the parents. This is our schools today. Yeah, it's crazy. This is the world we live in. We have this thing, right? So New York University just came out with this great study. It just came out, just, I think it was uh, published on Monday. And it said this, boys and girls are different. No. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. So there's been a, hey, is it, environment, right? Are we conditioning boys to act like boys and girls to act like girls, right? That's been the big debate, right? Nature or nurture, which is it? Well, this study was done on the brains of children or babies rather in the womb. So there's no nature involved, right? It's, excuse me, there's no nurture involved. It's all nature. And what they found is the brains of boys are different than the brains of girls. <laughs> And here's how they figured it out. Like when the birth was about ready to happen, the girls asked for directions. That's how they knew right away. <laughs> how do we get out of here? It's a little dark, I can't quite see. <laughs> oh. 
Listen, that study is being labeled as hate, hate speech because there's only two genders. That's the world we live in now. So we have to start waking up as a culture and realize this is the world we live in. How do we walk this out well? How do we talk to our young men? How do we talk to our boys? How do we talk to our girls about what they are, about what the Bible says they are, right? And, and if they have problems, man, we should be open book as parents. Come talk to us, share with us. I'll walk with you on this, no problem. You won't freak me out, right? Walk well. But in the beginning, God created them, male and female. There's real genders. Number two, he says this, have dominion. That you and I, listen, as a human, no matter what, you are unique in the created order. That he didn't say that to the lion, king of the jungle. He didn't say that to any other creature. He said, humans, time out, time out. We're gonna make humans and they're gonna be unique. They're gonna have rule over the universe. What's our world say to us today? You're just a hairless ape. That's all you are. You're a hairless ape, right? So studies on rats can be applied to humans. Just as easy, why? Because we're just a big fat rat. That's all we are. So why not study them? Okay, but I say this, I think I can prove to the most ardent atheist that that's not true. That we're not just a hairless ape. And here's how. So let's imagine financial hardship hits the heavily home, right? So things are difficult. And I've got to make some decisions about what heartbeats I keep alive or keep at my house. So we've had horses at my house. We've had goats. We've had chickens, ducks, rabbits, you name it. Got animals even now. Like we've always had animals. I've got my wife and five to seven kids are in my home, depending if we have foster kids or not. So there's a crew, right? So if I'm trying to figure out like, okay, we got to make some cuts here. Who do I cut? I'm like, charity's got to go. That's it. And if I'm honest, she's way more expensive than a horse. So I'm like, all right, she's out, all right? Because there's no difference. Who would say that's a good idea? Nobody. Or my kids, you know what? Goats are actually more responsive to discipline than my kids are. I want to put a kid up free on Craigslist. Would I get in trouble for that? Yes, right? Not a kid like goat, but a kid like my kid. They get arrested. We know it. We know we're not like the rest of creation. We know might is not right. What animal, know, what animal obeys that? That might is not right. No animal. Might is right in the animal kingdom and nobody as a human says that's actually right. It's just ridiculous. You as an image bearer of God are unique and you're to image bearer his attributes, mercy, grace, love, justice, compassion, kindness. That's what we're supposed to image bearer. We're unique. Number three, we have God's favor. Verse 28 says, and he blessed them. God blesses you. You are a recipient of God's favor. Throughout the book of Daniel, this is what we'll see. Daniel is kept in God's favor. He's not kept out of evil. Bad things happen to him. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. Really bad things happen to him. He's kept in evil by God. Brilliantly beautifully, because he knows I've got God's favor. Here's the problem today in the church. I think we want culture's favor more than God's favor now. And because we are pining for culture's favor, accept us, we're losing God's favor. You can't have both. The Bible says you cannot serve God and man. You can't, you can serve one, not both. So we have a magazine now as Christians, it's called Relevant Magazine. 
I think it's ridiculous. If you're reading Relevant Magazine to be relevant, you're irrelevant. You're just behind, man. You're way behind. You're just trying to play catch up. And here's what relevance means today. It means shrinking the difference between culture and the church, right? We're just like you. The church is just like you. Oh yeah, we agree with you. Oh yeah, that's relevance today. I just say, if that's what the church is, why bother coming? Man, get a different hobby. Go buy a boat and go skiing, man. Buy a fishing rod and go fishing. If the culture, if we're no different, what in the world? And the moment you begin to say that, we're just like you. You will cease talking about things that matter because you want culture's approval of you. And big churches now won't talk about homosexuality. They won't talk about marriage being between a man and a woman alone. They won't hit those subjects. You know why? Because someone might be offended. I think when you stop talking about those things, God gets offended. That's what ends up happening. And so, yes, we've made mistakes on those things. And yes, we've talked about them incorrectly. But it doesn't mean you just don't talk about them. You talk about them. We talk about a sexual ethic that says, listen, you're supposed to wait until marriage to do this. That's unpopular now, right? Well, we got to find out if we're compatible. You're a boy. She's a girl. Compatible, right? My goodness. It's ridiculous, these excuses. We have to talk about an ethic that says, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. Like those things are unpopular. And if you talk about them, you'll be labeled a bigot. And that is the one thing the church does not want to be labeled anymore. We're afraid of it. And because we're afraid of it, we won't talk about it. So Babylon has crushed us into its image. And now because of fear, fear, we say, ah, I'd rather have the world's favor than God's favor. What we'll find about Daniel and his three boys is this. They stood up no matter what. No matter what the threat level was, lion's den, fiery furnace, head getting chopped off. We don't care. This is the truth and we will stand on it, period. They did it kindly. They did it compassionately. They did it well and we'll watch them brilliantly because they knew we'd rather have God's favor, favor than the world's favor. And then fourthly and lastly, God says, be fruitful. You know what God's goal is for you? As an image bearer of him, be fruitful. Well, Matt, that was before the fall. Okay, John 15 verses one through five. Jesus says to his believers, I want you to bear fruit, more fruit and much fruit. No, God's design is for us to be fruitful people. Are we? I don't think we are because we've forgotten our names. We've forgotten our names. We've had our identity stolen. So we don't actually know who we are. So how can you ever be fruitful when you don't know who you are? See, Daniel, here's what we're gonna see in this book. It's a really spiritual book. Over and over, Daniel's like, hey, there's a whole other kingdom coming. There's a whole other dimension here. Never forget about that dimension. And I think the Bible from Genesis three to Revelation 20 says there's a different dimension. And there is an enemy, a real enemy, whose sole purpose for you is not to be fruitful, but to steal, kill, and destroy the identity that God has given to you. That's his goal. How do I rip off Christians so they don't know who they are so then I can destroy any kind of fruit they're gonna produce in their life? That's what the enemy does. Read that story. Read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 over. It's such good stuff, right? They listen to the enemy. And how does the enemy tempt Eve? 
if you eat this, you'll be like God. What was Eve already? Like God, right? Genesis 1. You're my image bearer. You're unique. You're created in my image. Three times. My image, my image, my image. What does the enemy say? No, you're not. You're not an image bearer. You need this thing over here. You're inadequate. You're not good enough. If you had this, you'd be a real image bearer, right? And so they sin and they fall. And what does God do? Does he crush them? They say, that's it. I'm done with you. Off with their heads. God pursues them, comes after them. What have you done, Adam? What have you done? And he asked one of the best questions ever. Why are you hiding from me, man? We used to come, we used to hang out. We'd have a meal in the evening together. Why are you hiding from me? And Adam in verse 10 of chapter three, he answers and it's an identity statement. It's the identity Adam has taken on. He goes, I'm afraid and I'm naked, right? He was to have dominion over everything on earth. Was he supposed to fear anything on earth? No, right? And then he's naked. I don't have what I need. I had to cover myself. I'm inadequate. Isn't that the wound of every man? That the enemy wants to come to you and whisper in your ear, you're inadequate. You're good for nothing. You're lousy. You're gonna get fired. That's the enemy's whisper. Not fruitful, much fruit, more fruit. It's you're inadequate. You can't do it. No one likes you. You're a piece of garbage. You're good for nothing. That's the whisper of the enemy. To remove from us our fruitfulness. What about the woman? Read the rest of that story. It's all about relationships. Because guess what women are really good at? They're much better than men at relationships. Relationships matter to women. So it's all about relational stuff. And that's what the enemy does to women. You'll never get married. Remember what you did when you were young? No one will love you now. You're damaged goods. You're no good. I had one girl say that, this, that she always heard this whispered in her soul that you're a fat pig and no one will ever love you. Where's that coming from? Is that the Bible or Babylon? Right? Babylon whispers to us these lies. It takes no faith to believe them. You blew it. You're damaged goods. You'll never be loved. You'll never get married. You don't deserve this. It whispers that over and over and over to us, trying to steal our identity. That's what it's so good at. And now we have this thing that says, you know what? If you're not this, young lady, fill in the blank. If you don't look like this, you don't have these dimensions, if you're not whatever sexually attractive, you're nothing. That's now the new measure. And where's that from? It's this, this amplification of this lie that's been going on for thousands of years. Now it's in social media. How many likes you get on that photo? Mm. See, I told you. See, I told you you're not. It's sad, man. It's, it's, it's stealing young people's names. And they don't know their names anymore. And so they're lost and they're depressed and they're, ah, oh, it takes no faith to believe lies of an enemy. Don't believe them. You're gonna either believe Babylon or the Bible. And who you are is the sum of all the voices that you've heard in life and those that you choose to believe. The parents you've had, the teachers you've had, the boyfriends you've had, the girlfriends you've had, the bosses you've had, all these voices are speaking into us and those voices that you choose to believe and accept define who you are. They give you your name. Are you believing Babylon or the Bible? Well, Matt, what do we do? What's the one name we remember from the book we're in? Belteshazzar? Anyone naming their kid Belteshazzar? Hey, Belty, come here. 
No, what name do we remember? You know why? He never uses Belteshazzar for himself. Babylon, you can call me whatever you want. I know who I am. I'm Daniel. God is my judge. It's the only name he uses for himself. That's what we do. No, that's not my name. No, I'm not fitting into that mold. Uh Uh-uh. I know who I am. I'm Daniel. God is my judge. And he stands through 70 years, through every kind of different political system. He stands. Daniel does. You gotta know who you are. If you're a believer in Jesus, do you know this? John 15, 15 says this. You're God's friend. You can look at your name and go, yeah, I'm God's friend. You know? You're God's friend. First Peter 2, 7 says this. You're a royal priesthood. Two spheres there, kingdom and spiritual. You rule them both. You're a king and a priest of Jesus. That's who you are, right? You gotta start getting your identity from the Bible. And Jesus says this, Matthew 28, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does never mean? Does it mean if you're a really good boy and do everything right? No, there's no qualification for me in that text. Jesus says this, I am promising you, Matt Heverly, bonehead, blow it case. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what you listen to. Quit listening to Babylon. Quit listening to that. The Bible says this, if we could add up all the thoughts that God has for us, they're more than the sands of the sea. Why would you listen to the enemy who only wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Why listen to Babylon? When the Bible keeps saying, this is who you are. This is how you become fruitful. This is how you stand. Know who you are. Don't let identity theft happen to you. And so we come to the table and part of the table is just remembering you get a seat at the king of the universe's table because he wants you there. Not that he has to have you there. I want you here. I invite you here. Sup with me. Eat with me. So Jesus, this day, Forgive us for forgetting our names. For allowing the Babylon of our culture today to dictate the terms, the voices. What we are, what we are not. Forgive us of that. I pray, Lord, for any in here this morning who had been hearing the whisper of the enemy in Babylon. I pray that you would put in their heart a faith that comes directly from your spirit that allows them to say, no, that's not who I am. I am a blood-bought saint of King Jesus. I am a king, I am a queen in training. I am a heir to the kingdom my king. I am an image bearer. I am a man. I am a woman designed by God. You put me together in my mom's womb. And your thoughts towards me, if I could count them, would outnumber the sands on the ocean. That's how much you love us. And you will never leave us or forsake us. May we drink of that name today, we pray. And we ask this.